interesting story is told. I don't know how many of you know this, but one of our presidents actually came out of Churches of Christ Christian Churches. James A. Garfield was a member of the church. And in 1880, he was elected president of the United States. He wasn't running, but there was a hung convention. They nominated him instead. He ran and became president of the United States. At the time, he was serving as an elder in the church. I think most people don't realize that. And he describes how that when he stepped down as an elder in the church he was a part of, he stated that he was stepping down from the highest position in the world to become president of the United States. And I love that quote from James A. Garfield. He would be assassinated soon after taking office, one of the great tragedies, I think, in our nation's history. But I think we underestimate just the role that shepherds have in the church, in the world, in helping to lead God's people. And I love the fact that they're just ordinary people. You know, God didn't choose, you know, these, these highly educated, trained individuals to lead the church. Uh, he, he chose ordinary people, people from the pew. And for that, I'm so grateful. And so we welcome our new elders to the church here at Hendersonville. And I speak on behalf of the staff. We look forward to very much working with you and are excited about that. I also want to remind, as Blake has already said, Trunk or Treat coming up next week. If you're not signed up, go sign up. I told June yesterday, we haven't signed up yet. And so we'll be signing up today. Please sign up. We're trying to get, I think, 80 uh, trunks this year. And uh, we're only about halfway there. So join us in that. Next Sunday afternoon is going to be a fantastic time. Let me remind the ladies, Coffee House, tomorrow night, 6.30, over in the Student Center. If you've not registered for that, do that. It's going to be a great evening, and I think you'll be blessed if you take part in that. I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Uh, we're in a fantastic chapter. Just go ahead and start turning over to Romans chapter 5. Be ready to do some underlining, highlighting, because there is something in this, in this chapter that we so desperately need to hear. But I want to set it up differently. I was going home this last, uh, about, about two weeks ago actually, I was thumbing through the different radio stations on my truck, and, and I clicked on NPR, and on NPR was an interview of a gentleman who had just come out with his autobiography. The gentleman's name is Richard Antoine White. And the title of his book is Impossible, A Story of Survival, A Tuba, and the Small Miracle of a Big Dream. Now, as I listened in to the interview, I, I, I thought, wow, this is an amazing story. So let me tell you just a little bit about Richard White. Richard, first of all, was born in Baltimore in the mid-70s. He's in his mid-40s now. His mother was an alcoholic. His father wasn't around. They lived on the streets, literally on the streets when he was a child. Richard would talk about how that every day was a battle for two things. Number one, a place to sleep that night. And number two, enough food to survive the day. He would describe how that he would lay down on a piece of cardboard on the sidewalk at night in Baltimore. And there he would imagine that his stomach was full even though the pains of hunger were just gnawing at him. 
He would imagine that he had cover on him when he didn't have anything except the rags that he was wearing at the time. A middle-aged family would eventually take note of him and his mom, take them in, and eventually would adopt Richard into their family. Now, it was just an ordinary middle-class family. But for the first time, Richard had things he had never experienced before. When he got to be a teenager, he wasn't athletic, so he joined the band. And, and he started first by playing the trumpet, but before long, he moved to the tuba. He began playing the tuba, and, and one day he decided, you know what, I want more training than just what I'm getting here in this high school band. And so he went to the Baltimore School of Music, knocked on the door because he had heard they were taking rehearsals. It just so happened that the director of the school was there that day, finishing up some work, heard the knock, went to the door, and here's this, you know, 15-year-old kid with a tuba. And he said, son, can I help you? And he said, yeah, I'm here to try out for the school. He said, son, auditions were yesterday. And it was at that point that Richard said that I looked at him and I thought, what am I going to say? And he said, somehow it just welled up in, in me. And he said, yeah, but I'm here today. And the director thought, wow, that's bold. He said, come on in. And so he went in with his tuba and he said, let me just ask you a couple of questions. Can you read music? And he said, what do you mean? And he said, well, can you tell me what these notes are on the line here? And he said, no, sir. And he said, you can't tell me these notes. And he said, no, sir. And he said, why do you think you can be a part of this school? And he said, because I play the tuba. And, and so the man thought he would give him one more test. And so he said, I, I want to ask you this question. If I sit down at the piano and play out a tune... Can you play it back to me on the tuba? And he said, yes, sir. And so the director of the school sat down. He played out a tune, turned around, and Richard played it back perfectly. You see, Richard, Blake, I know you appreciate this, has perfect pitch. What he hears, he can play back without a problem. Richard would go on to graduate from the Baltimore School of Music. He would get a, a, a bachelor's in music, a master's, and became the first African-American to get a Ph.D. in tuba. I didn't know they offered a Ph.D. in tuba, but they did. He would eventually move to New Mexico, where he would play for the New Mexico Philharmonic. He would also play for the Santa Fe Symphony. He became associate professor of music at the University of of New Mexico. And they eventually came to him and they said, we want to do a story about you, a documentary about how you went from literally the streets of Baltimore to being one of the greatest tuba players literally in the world. And so they did this documentary. The documentary was fixing a show. The preview of it was. And as the preview was about to take place, he was up on stage. He was going to play the song, We Are the World. And then they were going to show this short documentary. And then something happened. At the premiere of Raw Tuba, R-A-W, stands for Richard Antoine White, the film documentary, some random person stood up before I was going to play We Are the World. And so imagine, here he is on stage, a man stands up down here in the audience and turns and begins speaking to the audience says that he thanked my former teacher, David Frederer, the principal tubist of the Baltimore Symphony. 
He thanked my dad, or, or my stepdad, Richard McLean Jr., and he said, I'm thanking you for taking care of him. Thank you for showing him the way. I want to thank the whole audience for being there for him because I couldn't. I was incarcerated. It was the first time Richard White had ever seen his dad. Can you imagine that? First time. He's in his early 40s. I'll tell you the rest of the story shortly. But I was thinking about this story as I was reading through Romans chapter 5. Because in so many ways, what Paul tells in Romans 5 is kind of reversal, if you can imagine a reversal, of this story. Because in, in Romans, it's not the father that's incarcerated, it's the, the children. I mean, Romans chapter 1 begins with the Gentiles, when Paul says, can I just tell you how bad it went for the Gentiles? Who had an opportunity to know God, but they rejected it, and they turned to idolatry, and because of that, they ended up in just a mess. And then you go to Romans 2, and he says, and by the way, the Jews weren't any better. Even though they had the law and they had the covenant and they had circumcision, it still didn't cause them to do any better and they ended up in a mess. And in Romans 3, he finally says, Can I just tell you the way it all ended up? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then he goes into, as he gets to the end of Romans chapter 3, and talks about how that the Father steps into the picture. And he steps in in order to reconcile, to redeem, to justify his creation back to himself. And then in chapter 4, and Stan did a beautiful job. Stan, thank you, last week. He did a beautiful job in talking about, especially to these Jews. Jews were the ones who were really struggling here in the church in Rome. And he says to the Jews, listen, I know you think that Abraham is your father, but can I just tell you that he's also the father of the Gentiles? And that we're all actually a part of the same family. That, and, and we're there not because of circumcision, not because of DNA birth, but because of the birth of water and the Spirit and because of our faith in Jesus Christ. And when he gets to chapter 5, he does something amazing. He begins, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith... We have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That which had been so separated, Paul says now it's been brought together through grace that comes through faith in Jesus so that we have peace, we have shalom. We can sit down at a table with our Heavenly Father and not be fearful of what's going to take place. In fact, one of the things that takes place after this is that God wanted a personal relationship with his creation so much that he did all the heavy lifting. In other words, here's God looking at the world and he says, I love them too much. And so instead of just basically leaving them to their sin and their own destruction, he stepped in and did for us that which we were incapable of doing. And that's what I love so much about chapter 5. Is that over the next few verses, he's going to say, can I tell you how much God loves you? 
And for a lot of us who grew up with fear, who grew up with judgment, who saw God as the God who's always looking just to catch us in that sin so that he could reject us, Paul would say, not at all the kind of God that we serve. Look at what he says. He begins by saying, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now that word boast is a key word because if you go back just a couple of chapters, he says, by the way, no one has the right to boast before God. But then when you get to chapter 5, he says, well, can I clarify that? We boast, but we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We hope in the fact that God, or we boast in the fact that God has chosen to reach out to us, to restore us, because we had fallen short of the glory of God. And now he's restoring that in our lives and and before the world. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And of course, this is one of those passages that sometimes we struggle with, but it's really quite simple because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character produces hope. More about that in a second. But boasting is back. But it's back because of God and what he's done, and not because of us and what we've done. And then the suffering? Paul says, are we going to suffer as Christians? Absolutely. We're going to go through all kinds of problems in this life. But those problems are intended to produce perseverance that then produces character, that then produces hope. Y'all, I know a lot of us guys can You remember back when you did this? I don't know how many of you played high school football. You know, I, I played one year of high school football. All right? One year of high school football. And I remember going out and running those 50-yard dashes across the field, just one right after the other, one after the other, until you couldn't even hardly breathe. And you're out there in the middle of the summer, and it's 95 degrees, you know, and you're sweating like crazy. You're so thirsty you can't stand it. And then it's time to do grass drills. And you're basically asking yourself, why are we doing this? And we're doing it because the coach wants to prepare us. He wants to create that perseverance, that character. He wants to create that hope that will take us on the ball field and lead us to victory. I remember in spring break, I'd played my junior high year, ninth grade year, spring came along. We're now, not spring break, spring practice. We're now in spring practice and I remember being out on the field, and I was a running back. By, back then, I know you can't believe this, weighed 140 pounds. I was the shortest guy on the team. And so we were practicing running plays, and, and so I took a handoff, and, and this 140-pound running back went up against a 260-pound tackle who proceeded to take my collarbone, lift it off my sternum, and stick it up into my neck which resulted in six weeks of a cast like this right here. Imagine being in the ninth grade and you're like this for six weeks, which then made me decide to go in ministry. (laughs) You see, it's those who work hard, who suffer, who then experience the hope that doesn't put us to shame. You can tell the teams that have put in the hard work. We all see it. And then he goes and he talks about something else here. And, and, and I want to go back for a second because I want you to notice this phrase here because God's love has been poured out into our hearts. There, there's something going on here that's so powerful. 
you go to Ecclesiastes, and Ecclesiastes says something about the way God created us. And notice what he says. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he's also said eternity in the human heart. Now, there's a lot of debate as to how that should be translated, and I get it. But a lot of translations see this as, as though there's something about us that recognizes that there's a God. And there's an emptiness in us. An emptiness that Solomon tried to fill with all kinds of things. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, he says, Can I tell you the conclusion of the whole matter? Fear God and keep His commandments. That's what's going to fill, fill what's empty in our lives. And in so many ways, that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He says, listen, can I tell you what happens when we come to God through Jesus Christ? He says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. God is now giving us that which all of us want. All of us want simply to feel loved. And if we understand who God is, and if we understand what God has done, and if we understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and I wish so much I could go back and somehow transform my past, you know, challenge those who taught me when I was a kid, because let's be honest, a lot of us were never taught about the Holy Spirit. I'm oftentimes I'm reminded of the kid who, who gets his Christmas present, and, and he opens it up, and there's this beautiful, fantastic Christmas present, and he takes it out of the box, and he sets it over here, and then what does he do? He plays with the box, right? I mean, he's ignoring the gift. And what we did in Acts 2.38 is we said, you know what, you need to repent, you need to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And then what did we do? We took the gift out of the box, and we put it over here, and we played with the box. We were more excited about baptism, more focused on baptism than we were what baptism brings to us, which is forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. How did we miss that? We did. And it is that Spirit that pours God's love. That's why when you turn over to Galatians 5, the first fruit of the Spirit is what? It's love. But it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the work of the Spirit in our lives, which is awful hard when you don't even acknowledge the presence of the Spirit in your life. And so Paul says, God begins to restore us to the glory He created us to be. And I love what he did so quickly over the next few verses. He says, can I tell you how much God loved you? Look at what he says. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We had this passage read to us. Carl read it a few moments ago. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. And, and so Paul begins and he says, Can I tell you how much God loves you? When you were powerless and ungodly, anti-God, God acted. Now, I want you to think about that. Do you know what the word powerless means? It means you can't do anything. Your, your, your hands are cuffed. You are ungodly. You're anti-God. We were in no position to do anything. And yet God steps into the void and says, You can't, I will. He keeps going. But God demonstrated His own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Powerless? Yeah. I mean, enemies of God, ungodly, yeah. 
And now look, and sinners. People who miss the mark every time they aimed at it. That's that word, harmatia, there. It's, it's someone who aims, but he misses it every time. And he says, that's where we were, but God stepped into the picture. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? He says, listen, God began a good work in us. Jesus died for us. Now, once you get started on that pathway, do you think God now washes his hands of you and says, now you're on your own? I mean, that's the greatest misunderstanding of God's grace in the world. I remember as a teenager being so afraid, I'd mess up. I mean, every time, boy, have I messed up? Do I need to go forward? Do I need to ask for the prayers of the church? Am I in? Am I out? Am I in? Am I out? I remember a good friend of mine from a different faith heritage, and he looked at me and said, man, if that's security, I'd hate to be one of you guys. And I look back, and I think he was right. But look at what Paul says. For if while we were God's enemies, if we were reconciled to him through death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? He says, do you not get the picture? We were enemies. But God got us in, and God's going to see us to the end if we will let him. It's all, all about us letting him. Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, let me tell you, we can boast in the glory of God. God is now restoring to us what he created us to be. We can boast in God's work. But he says, let me tell you where the real boasting needs to be. And the one whose name is Jesus. That's where our boasting is found. Paul would put it this way in Galatians. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, we need to be the Hendersonville, not the Hendersonville Church of Christ. We need to be the Hendersonville Church of Christ. That's where the emphasis is. Our glory is found in Jesus Christ. In Him alone. What He did at the cross, but even more than what He did at the cross, what He did when He was raised from the dead. I mean, that is what gives us our boasting. And so Paul, as he gets about halfway through chapter 5, he says, can I just compare the Adam we came from to the man who has called us and we're being created in his image? Can I just compare those two, the first man and the second man? And boy, he just starts rattling them off. He says, the first man, that's who sin entered into the world and death because of sin. But the second man, grace entered the world and life by grace through faith. He goes on through to talk about this grace. And I want you to notice the last line there. How much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow? How much grace is there out there for Les Chapman? More than I need. It's overflowing. I mean, God's not there, you know, with the radar as I'm driving down Rockland trying to catch me going over 35 miles an hour. God is there saying, hey, just come on through. Now, drive the speed limit, but come on through. If you break down, I'm going to help you. You know, His grace overflows. Judgment followed one sin, brought condemnation. That's what Adam did for us. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. One sin. One sin 
condemnation. Many transgressions. Now justification. He says, by the trespass of one man, death reigned. But by the grace and the gift of righteousness of one man, many reign. You see, death doesn't have the final say anymore. God does. Because of grace, through our faith in Jesus, the one man. One trespass resulted in the condemnation of all people. One righteous act resulted in the justification and life for all people. Adam bit the fruit. We all die. Jesus died on the cross. We all live. You need to see the comparison. There's this last one. This last one that we need to focus on. Through the disobedience of one man, many were made sinners. The world fell. Creation collapsed. But through the obedience of the one man, we have got to somehow get this last one right. Because this is where we've messed up. So many people come to their deathbed and they ask the question, have I done enough? Have I obeyed enough? And can I say something here, and I want you all to listen to me very carefully. Some of you are going to misunderstand me. If you do, call me up and we'll sit down and talk. I hope you don't misunderstand me. My obedience is not what saves me. Your obedience is not what saves you. It's my faith. And it's your faith. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but, but we have to obey, Les. We have to obey. Listen, faith obeys. James is clear on that in James chapter 2. If faith is alive, and it's the only faith that really is faith, it obeys. But it's not our obedience that saves us. It's our faith that obedience flows out of. You see, when people say, I don't know if I've done enough, I can give you the answer to that question. You haven't, and you won't, and you can't. You stand at the throne before God, not based on your faithfulness, but based on His faithfulness. It is Jesus' obedience at the cross that paid for my sins and pays for your sins. And when we get that, it makes all the difference in the world. Because now it flows out of a security that, wow, you mean Jesus is the one that got it right? Yes. And by the way, he's the one who keeps getting it right. The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. Why are there rules? Rules are there to, first of all, try and tap sin down. But the truth is that when you add more and more rules, sin increases more and more. I mean, if you, if you want to make more and more people sinners, just pass more and more laws. It is literally that simple. Eldership last week, they decided on a new rule here at, at Hendersonville. Every, every week, we're going to examine the underneath the uh, pews, and if we find any chewing gum, we're going to pull it off, we're going to get it DNA tested, and if you were the one that put it there, oh, you, you ain't going to believe what's going to happen, right? Some of y'all are reaching right now, pulling it off, aren't you? You're like, gotta get that gum off. You see, if we add more and more rules, we'll have more and more transgressors. But here's what Paul said. But where sin increased, 
Grace increased all the more. It's overflowing. It takes care of it. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the promise we have. It's a relationship with God for eternity through Jesus. So what's our response? I want to go back to the story. When Richard realized it was his dad standing up in the audience, Richard ran off the stage, grabbed his dad, and hugged him. He said, I knew he couldn't do anything. He was in prison. He was in prison before I was born. His dad wanted to somehow reconnect with his biological son. And I loved what happened next. He said, I ran off the stage first. I gave him a hug. And then I told the orchestra I needed a few minutes because it's hard to play tuba when you're crying. First time he'd ever seen his father. And so he cried and then he came back and he sang, we are the, or he played, We Are the World. He says, and then afterwards he said he wanted to connect with me. We had dinner. And it was a really heartfelt moment because I know he did all he could. When I met him at the place we had dinner, he gave me a hug and shook my hand. And then I want you to look at what happens next. Richard is a PhD, assistant professor at the University of New Mexico, plays in two different orchestras. World-class, if not the best tuber player in the, in, in the United States, probably in the world. He's a man who, who literally pulled himself up by his bootstraps and became somebody. He had a good life, he had a good job, he had good pay. But when his dad came to have dinner with him, as they shook hands, his dad handed him $40. That's all he had. Richard accepted the gift. Because notice, but I know he wanted to show me that he loved me. That's what our obedience is. Our obedience is giving back to God $40. As if God needed it. But it's all that we have and so we give it back to God. Because God's the one who reached out and reconciled us. Did all the heavy lifting. He says, guys, I've got this. I love you so much. I want to be in relationship. Will you be in relationship with me? And all he asks of us is to love him back. And then to give him what we can give him. And that's what he offers you today. Grace. Through your faith in Jesus. That begins in baptism. Begins with an incredible promise that in baptism your sins are washed away and you're given the greatest gift in the world, the gift of the Holy Spirit that begins then to pour these incredible fruit into your life, fruit of love and joy and peace. I mean, the list just goes on and on. So that over time we're restored to the glory of God that he created us to be. And the end result is we have peace with God. That's what he's offering you. If you've never accepted it, what are you waiting for? Accept it today, right now. Let's together we stand and sing.